Non, c'est ce que je disais. Oui, moi, s'évader, c'est de la blague. Après tout, tout est beau. Il n'y a qu'à s'intéresser aux choses et les trouver belles. The time has come. Catherine Bigelow. Being uh, characteristically a pessimist and cynic, this and some of the other nice things that have happened to me in the last couple of days may turn me into some sort of hopeful optimist and ruin my whole life. Spoil? <laughs> Did he spoil me? No! I remember quite clearly it was 1946 and I was four years old. My mother took me to see King Vidor's Duel in the Sun. Al film italiano Deserto Rosso di Michelangelo. Michelangelo Antonioni. It's just that all men are sure it never happened to them and most women at one time or another have done it, so you do the math. Three artists in the presentation of the Palm d'Or. Adele, Lea, and Abdel 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 everybody and welcome to episode 25 of the Filmotomy podcast. I'm your host uh, B Garner and I'm joined by the wonderful Rob. Say hi Rob. Hi there. And also Jonathan. Hello everyone. And how are we all today? We're okay? Yeah, Good. it's Sunday yeah. morning. It's bright and shining here in the <laughs> west coast in Washington State. Yeah, same here in San Diego. Oh, lovely. Um, and it's also quite sunny here for a change in the UK. So, good weather uh, all around. <laughs> um, so, today we're going to be discussing the uh, career and the sort of sad decline and, and death of um, one of cinema's greatest icons, I would say. Um, I don't know whether you two would agree with me on that but uh, we'll, we'll be discussing the um, the wonderful if not tragic Judy Garland um, and the reason I really wanted to bring this up and to discuss um, Judy on, on, on the podcast is sort of um, the Me Too movement and the whole issue with Harvey Weinstein sort of brought to light that Hollywood is is still not a hundred percent helping female stars, and it is still a sort of ongoing case of harassment and, and mistreatment of, of women uh, and men. Obviously, you know we've got the sad case of uh, Corey Feldman and uh, various of other people, and it got me sort of thinking that. Uh, I remember reading up on, on Judy Garland and uh, I just think we've really should have gone, we should have improved on it, but we haven't. So, and I'm, you know, a lot of people um, won't really know all of the facts about her life and, and what happened to her. So that's my sort of reason to decide to, to do her uh, on this podcast. So, um, just before we sort of get into everything, um, what was your sort of first uh, introduction to Judy Garland? I mean, mine was, you know, I think with a lot of kids is Wizard of Oz. You know, growing up, Wizard of Oz was, you know, just a a staple of, oh, that's a really good movie. Like, that's a, you know, that's a really good movie to keep sort of going back to and going back to. 
Um, you know, and so I always saw Judy Garland as, as Dorothy, you know, uh, for most of my life. And then uh, as I got a little older, I, you know, kind of got into got into older movies more. Uh, and I saw A Star is Born. I saw A Star is Born when I was maybe 24, 25, um, four or five years ago. And it it just changed my whole view of her. I I saw this incredibly moving and heartbreaking performer um, playing this this kind of wonderful role, but just there was something about her performance that broke through the character, broke through the screen, and just um, I just I just found it incredibly moving. And you know I don't know if it's just that that movie's an epic and it's like three hours long, and uh, but but I just I I love how I love that that her performance seems to sort of transcend um the character in the screen so i i don't know i i was very moved by that performance and, and it has allowed me to really go back over her career to appreciate um just all that she's done so yeah that that definitely was my first uh first approach to judy garland and, and what about yourself jonathan uh same same as rob uh i was about well this is i think the I want to say it was about seven or eight when my mom, when my mom took me to see the re-release of Wizard of Oz, and I remember absolutely falling in love with the character of Dorothy. And I haven't really seen any of her work beyond that. Okay. And when I and then I watched the uh, documentary uh, "The Lost Days of Judy Garland," mm. and. She must have been a hell of a performer because just the body of work she did, uh, it's incredible. And she's an amazing singer, probably one of the best I've ever heard. Yeah. And it's it's funny that you sort of say about the volume of work that she did. Um, she was paired up with Mickey Rooney. Um, yes. To do the Andy films. And they did 14 films in hmm. the space oh, wow. I think in the space of from 1936 to 1946 so in a decade they made 14 films together and she wasn't only just making films of him and the, you know she was making other films and uh, you know Wizard of Oz during that time Meet Me in St. Louis um, loads and other movies in that space of time but we forget like the sheer volume of her work. It's incredible to think that, um, like, even when she was in her forties, in the late sixties, she was still up on stage delivering a great performance. And Jonathan, you're completely right. I've not really heard a, another voice quite like hers ever. Judy Garland was once quoted as saying, "Judy Garland was born at the age of twelve on the set of MGM." Um, we, <laughs> we perhaps know her best as Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, but um, perhaps lesser known is her troubled career and her horrendous treatment by the hands of the film studio MGM. Life was tough for Judy. She was actually born Frances Gum. And um, this is touched upon in the documentary that Jonathan previously mentioned. Uh, and her mother was very overbearing. Um, really, we we think that uh, you know 
uh, Judy was put on these drugs by the film studio, but it was actually at, by the hands of her mother, who not only put Judy through all that, but also her other two daughters. Um, despite all this, Judy said that growing up, her time um, with her sisters dancing on stage was perhaps the happiest time of her life. Um, her father was a great influence in her life, but he too had some secrets of his own. And the family had to leave town uh, to avoid a scandal uh, after it turned out that he had been sleeping with a much younger man. So Garland was always was quoted as saying she was always loathsome. The only time she felt accepted or wanted was one on stage performing. And perhaps this is one of the most upsetting lines I've ever read. Uh, but she was quoted as saying, uh, the only time I felt accepted or wanted was when I was on stage performing. I guess the stage was my only friend, the only place where I felt comfortable. It was the only place where I felt equal and safe. When her family moved to Hollywood, um, her mother sort of pushed her towards getting uh, a contract with a, a film studio. And one of the studios that she was approached by was MGM. Now, um, do any of you know about the the whole studio system in in the Hollywood sort of? Yeah, with the with yeah. the contracts and like you sign for a certain number of films or a certain number of a certain number of time basically mm -hmm. that you are producing work for you know MGM or Warner Brothers or I mean I don't think Paramount existed yet but but you know the the big the big studio system that existed basically before the I guess before the 1960s yeah. but um yeah so so, ba so basically um when you sign a contract with that particular studio. You are working solely for that studio and for their films, correct? Yeah. Yes, yeah. That, that's correct. So uh, the film studios would test screen their stars and then put them through different sh films just to see which ones responded to audiences. So they would try them out in, say, a musical. They would try them out in maybe a gangster pick or try them out in a, a melodrama and then they would see which ones they you know the audience responded to and then they would be like okay that's the film that you you're only going to do that genre uh so that's why we see a lot of um film stars that are all only sort of associated with that particular genre and in judy's case it was the musical um the head of the, the film studio, MGM, was an infamous man, um, hmm. Louis B. Mayer. Um, do you guys know anything about him? I mean, Louis B. Mayer is sort of a name that is synonymous with this. I mean, he's synonymous with the studio system in Hollywood, but also just the early days of Hollywood. Um I I personally have not read too much into him. However, I know that he is like a key figure in creating Hollywood and creating what we basically what it is today. Um, and I know I certainly I know his uh, background with Judy Garland and mm. how how he acted towards her, which is ridiculous. Like, 
I mean, you think about it today, and I mean, even with the Weinstein stuff coming out, it's just, I mean, ridiculous. Like that, that was even allowed to happen, or people knew about it. So, um, yeah, just just not a great person, but definitely a historical figure. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, and his sort of aim for MGM was to make it uh, a studio that only produced family pictures. <laughs> So films that all the family could go and enjoy. Um, and the reason for this was um, he could sell more tickets. You know, he could right. sell tickets to mom and dad and he could sell tickets to the children. So th- his intentions were pretty shady, let's, let's say the least. Um, but he took a shine to, to uh, Judy. Um, even though... At first, he kind of had, she had some competition with another star that they same age, um, who they signed up at the the same time, and they created this sort of rivalry. They um, wanted to see which one would sort of be more sort of acceptable by the by the audiences. And for about a year, Judy didn't actually make a film. She simply was on the studio sort of lot, um, getting um, her schooling, um, singing lessons, her sort of dance routines and and doing test shoots. But uh, it was her sort of pairing off with uh, Mickey Rooney and the popular um, films that they did, 14 in total, that sort of made her a household name. The, The only problem is, is that she sort of attracted attention from Louis B. Mayer, who uh, would often <laughs> grope her in the most horrific ways. Um, whenever she sort of sang, um, he would often put his hand on her left breast and say that she sang from the heart, which is just... Uh, awful. Yeah. Awful, yeah. It, yeah, that's something the documentary never uh, touched on. I wonder Mayor why. Talk. Let's see, it's an e-true Hollywood story, and we're not going to go after a, you know, a Hollywood like scion like Louis B. Mayer. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just I ha- I look at, at things like that, and I'm like, okay, so why wasn't that covered? You know, I don't know. I'm sorry, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm actually hearing about part all of this for the first time and I was like yeah wow I, I mean I knew I figured you know watching that documentary that Blues B. Mayor was not really the greatest human being on earth but I think it go I think it, it kind of went that far like groping actually groping the talent yeah that's uh, that's disturbing and, and um, she was what what 14 15 at the time yes yes she was mm. oh that's just an, uh, an extra layer of creepy well, um, he would often um, sort of chase her around the office, um, say very inappropriate things, pull her onto his lap, to, so she would sort of have to sit on his lap. And uh, um, she's actually quoted of saying that, um, this is a quote that she said, uh, often thought it was lucky that I didn't sink from another part of my body. Mm-hmm. Um so I cannot imagine what she was sort of going through um, to 
sort of be trying to make your big break and have this attention of this much older man who really had so much power over her life um, because if she sort of didn't really sort of play ball in a way um, that's it she wouldn't get her career she wouldn't get the contract renewed so it was and of course at this time her father had also passed away so her mother was sort of raising um, the family alone and as the, the most talented sister she had a lot of pressure on her shoulders um, but uh, Maya would also uh, sort of put her on a, a strict diet which um, resulted in having people to spy on her to see if she was sticking to her daily diet of chicken soup, black coffees, and 80 cigarettes to curb her appetite. Which is <sighs> unimaginable today. Um, if she was caught um, not sticking to her diet, she would be sent to the doctor in order to get diet pills. So already there is this sort of manipulation between him and her and um, I can only imagine she didn't really have anyone to turn to and as you think that we know her story but there must be others that we don't actually know the full story um, like the ones who didn't get their contracts renewed and have sort of slipped into um, you know history the pages of history just forgotten about. Um, it was in 1938 that the film Wizard of Oz was shot. Originally, um, Garland was actually not up for the role. It was um, Shirley Temple. But Fox, uh, the film studio, refused to loan Temple. Um, so it was actually Garland who got the role. The only issue was character of Dorothy was supposed to be 10 to 12 years old in the book at the time Garland was 16 years old this uh, for because she was beginning to obviously to develop yeah yeah, develop, yeah. <laughs> uh, was not looking like a Shirley Temple or more like a woman um, right. they would um, bound her breasts down with, uh, with tape and then uh, forced her to wear a special corset in order to flatten out her curves and make her appear younger. Uh. Yeah. This is... Um, I can't imagine... I've not worn a corset, but I, I don't ever want to, but imagine having to sing in that sort of... having that heightened area you know um having to dance as well long hours working in long hours and sort of having to stick to this ridiculous diet of chicken soup coffee and cigarettes um she began to sort i just of, yeah. i just wanted to mention really quick here like i'm just thinking about like thinking about judy garland throughout her entire life and just like the fact that she was able to do all of this and that she pushed herself to do it 
and yet she still was so deeply insecure about herself. What I mean, this this just speaks volumes to who this person was. Like they they put maximum effort into their craft, but and and like almost as if to say like love me, you know, mm-hmm. almost as if to to like be reaching out through their craft to 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 that. And I just I love thinking about that 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 somebody was that talented and was that um, you know was that sort of they tried that hard and and it still just it it never kind of w- was enough or materialized in that meaningful way and that's that's really that's really heartbreaking sorry i was just thinking about that oh no just the determination and her sort of i don't know spirit keeps her going right and i think we see that come through in her performances this yeah, sort of absolutely um resilience really to, mm-hmm. to keep to keep going even though essentially the odds are against her and yeah. i feel like we get that probably <coughs> most in her performance in in wizard of oz is that sort of sense of you know this is her she knows she's alone in the world and it's the whole world versus her her um but mm-hmm. she keeps going no matter what and right. it's i don't know knowing all this information about what she was going through at the time and her childhood and the treatment that she was facing by the film studio and um you know louis b mayer I feel it makes her the film actually a lot stronger in a way. I don't know whether you guys feel that. Um, uh, the, the song Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I thought, oh, that's just very cute and very pretty. Uh, now, I just feel like, okay, she's actually, that song felt like it, it's tailor-made for her. Mm. And it's her kind of reaching out and saying... Yeah, I, I'm not sure if it's saying help or, but really, it, it's it almost feels like she's bearing her own soul when she sings it now, yeah. and it just feels like it just feels like yeah, she's it's a cry for help or someone just to say that yes, you are perfect or you're um, you are incredible, you are loved, and. I feel like that's the one thing she was looking for, and she never fully, in her own mind, really received, felt she received that or got that. And when I think about it now, it's just it's it's just downright uh, heartbreaking. Going back to what Rob was talking about. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and then that song to me uh, has sort of meant different things at different points in my life, you know. I mean, as a kid, of course, it's that it's that Wizard of Oz song, you know, that that you yeah. associate with that movie that doesn't have any kind of like it's just a nice it's a nice song that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And then I okay, and then to digress just a little bit, there was a movie called Finding Forrester that came out like 18 years ago with Sean Connery, where um, it, it plays like a different version of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, which I liked for a long time, which was sort of like a more of like a Caribbean like version or sounding version um, and then I, you know of course as a into my 20s watching the Wizard of Oz again and having my own relationship with that song I think that there definitely 
Um, and not to mention Judy's like performance of that song through specials and uh, you know throughout time has really transformed the meaning of that song. I think you know into something where I feel like it's almost a philosophical uh, idea of of getting to a place of acceptance because I think that I think that Judy Garland was looking for that her whole life. She's a yeah. deeply insecure person, and she you know she really wanted to be loved and to be known and to be seen and I don't know that she really ever was um, I mean all these years later I think we reflect back on it because it was so tragic but during her life I think that she was always looking for that and the fact that the fact that we know that 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 that, that she never found that kind of happiness makes it all the more sad and makes it all the more heartbreaking Yes, definitely. I agree with you. And I I find with that song, it becomes almost I, it sort of just transports you back to childhood. You know, no matter what age you are, you sort of hear that song and you go back to a time where life was a bit more simple. And I think it's a, a song that sort of to me, shows optimism and and seeing the world through the eyes of a child where, you know, there is a, a place somewhere over the rainbow which is better. Uh, and, you know, we've, all we've got to do is, is, you know, find a way to access it and then all our troubles will be over. But uh, then you sort of realise that as an adult, that's not necessarily the case. There isn't sort of a magic um, tornado to to whip you up and, and take you to this magical world, you know. And I, I find that, um, like you were saying, that she sang it in in a lot of specials and um, when she was performing on stage and in, in you know in the sixties and the sort of late fifties, that song becomes. Um, I don't want to say sinister, but it becomes a f far more adult. Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing that um, there was an incident where she was on stage and she wasn't really given the best performance, and people were getting up, sort of leaving, and um, you know, booing, and and um, you know, not really. They were sort of they weren't really entertained and then she started singing somewhere over the rainbow and everybody sort of stopped and sat back down and it was the power of her performance of that song which just moved everybody to complete silence and she had their full attention and, and like um, Rob was saying you know th there's, she was always sort of striving to be accepted and, and perhaps maybe that's I like to think that in that moment she got her acceptance in, in a way but of course unfortunately we we'll never really know because her life was tragically cut short at the age of 47 um, and to bring it back to the Wizard of Oz um, it's, it's something that I found which was quite uh, shocking was the fact that on on set um, she was sort of uh, resented by the rest of the adult cast. They wouldn't really talk to her or um, hang out with her after the film had wrapped or, 
you know, um, they pretty much ignore her on set. Um, and she was actually shunned by the four main male leads. And um, actually, her, ironically, her only friend on the set was Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> that's so, sad. That's incredibly sad. And Yeah, I mean, that's a side effect of the studio system, of them kind of being bit actors and seeing her as a star. And, you know, that's kind of what... I mean, 1939... I don't know if we were exactly there yet in terms of like, you know, stars belonging to to studios in a like, you know, Clark Gable, Marilyn Monroe, um, Jimmy Stewart kind of kind of aspect. I mean, probably because because I'm trying to think like Jimmy Stewart was definitely making movies around that 1939, 1941, whatever. But um, but I think that that was part of it as well as the 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 people kind of looking at her and resenting her because she's the focus of this movie. So, um, again, things that are not in her control, you know, things that are out of her hands. Um, I mean, she gives a great performance and does, I mean, you never think for one second that Dorothy is unfriendly with the lion or the scarecrow or any of those people. So it's a real unfortunate um, reality. I can't imagine how isolated she must have felt on the set. Mm-hmm. Um, not having um, any sort of friends really because there isn't any other children on uh, appearing in that film she is the right. only, only child so um, to go from having her like best friend as Mickey Rooney and starring in loads of films with him to suddenly being surrounded with all these adults who are essentially ignoring her uh, must have been a real sort of shock but they clearly saw them as product i mean it's the same thing with uh corporations mm. and of course that there weren't any child labor laws as well so right. in place so they could sort of have free reign i mean i like to think that if i was in that situation i would walk out and and, and but then the the need for fame and the fact that they had their right. families depending on them essentially and that's their life they haven't really they were sort of brought up i think judy was on stage at the age of two mickey was sort of making films at the age of seven so they haven't had any other life experience apart from the life of show business um, so what what can you do? It's not a case that they have they've had the education, but it's not a normal education. It was sort of education at the film, you know, lot where they had a, a actual school for the film stars, the children stars. So they've and then they've been around surrounded by this adult world, you know, where the um, I think. Um, Mickey Rooney's agent was a former bootlegger and a pimp. So <laughs> they haven't really had any... They, they were damned from the very first day that they walked onto that yeah. studio. Yeah, people like that who need enemies, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, um, part of that too is just, I think, the studio really looked at stars as property. You know, yes, we're, we're, pay- exactly. we're paying you, we're paying you 
so you need to do <clears throat> yeah, the work as we yeah we it. own you we can do whatever we want to you because you are our property it's exactly it's almost it's, like a form of slavery honestly yeah. well this and and to be fair this gets into certain conversations in the sports world you know in today today we i talk about this a lot when i talk when i i mean not on the podcast or in filmotomy but i i'm one of my interests is professional sports and I definitely have uh, seen the what's called the plantation mentality um, being seen in professional sports where it's like, hey, we pay you millions of dollars. We own you like, you know, if you have a political stance, we can cut you and you don't get make any money. You know, if you say something we don't like, we can. And so it's getting it's it's not exactly gone away. We still have that. And by the way, this exists in Hollywood still. Um, Gay actors cannot come out and still make the money that they want to make. You know, so there are plenty of actors that are in the closet that just don't because it's less financially viable for them to be openly um, who they are. And so we have many different forms of this throughout society because people in powerful positions, uh, frankly, do horrible things to get the upper hand. Um, So, yeah, I take from that what you will. But sorry for the for the digression. But. Well, no, you make a fair fair point. There's still, uh, and obviously all the issues with Weinstein, there is still this case where these agents and these heads of studios and, and production companies do have the power still. And right. I think back to all this issue with Judy Garland and Louis B. Mayer, and I'm thinking, well, they... There may be less control and there will be freedom for the, you know, for stars and they can get their voices heard, but then it's still not right. There's still something going wrong here, and I don't know how we can fix it. <laughs> but it is tragic to to think that there's still we only know the tip of the iceberg. There must be a lot more. And, and that kind of disturbs me in a way. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's just... Well, it, yeah, it's a concentration of power, you know, and I, I'm sorry to keep bringing that up. I know I've probably brought that up in a lot of different podcasts that we've done as a theme in movies because it's so fascinating to me. Certainly the conspiracy, like, thrillers of the 70s and, like, Network and even something like They Live, right, is all about that kind of idea. Um Bad things happen when it's it's that old saying, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I I really believe that. I really believe that without transparency, without uh, you know these these are private organizations that have billions and billions of dollars at their disposal, and then they have at times really creepy people running their um, media divisions. And we're I mean. And it's just like, what is possible here? What is, you know, what is the depths that people are willing to sink to to um, basically use people for their own ends? And the answer is, there probably is no bottom. And that's a really disturbing thing to, to think about, but it's also something to be aware of and to look at and, and to be aware of in these stories when they come out. It's like, just remember, as much as Hollywood is this sort of liberal bastion that we believe it is, it's really a business town. It's really about the bottom line. So I, I, I think it's really important to hold Hollywood's feet to the fire and say, 
look, we know the history, okay? We love what you do. We love the movies, whatever. Just stop being creeps. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, to get back on track about Judy Garland, um, she um, a sort of um, mar- had a few um, marriages. Um, she actually lost her virginity at the age of 15, which is mm. so shocking. Mm. And she was constantly in need of this sort of male companionship. And I think that was a lot to do with the death of her father. Um, She had a lot of relationships with much older men. And um, she actually uh, had um, her marriage to um, her first marriage to a band leader called David Ross uh, uh, in 1941. And they... Uh, eloped to Las Vegas and got married um, but this caused some serious upset not not to her family but actually to the film studio especially Louis B. Mayer and um, there was a lot of pressure on her to divorce um, David and um, she announced that she was pregnant and uh, MGM persuaded her to get her abortion in order to maintain her good girl image Wow. Uh, yeah, it was really sad and disturbing. The fact yeah. that like you're 18 years old, you get married to a man who think you think loves you, and regard. I mean, you're 18, whatever. I mean, I don't know what your mindset is there, but and then you're you're basically forced into have you know aborting the child that you have together, or you're planning to have together, and that it's just like your your entryway into adulthood. You're slapped down almost immediately and made to feel less than human or something. And again, the, it goes back to what Rob was talking about power. I mean, and we can control your career as a, as, as an actor. That's it, it, that that's just a terrifying uh, uh, predicament to be in. To think that that was that was the norm in Hollywood back then. A hooker cut to look like Lana Turner is still a hooker. Hey, she just looks like Lana Turner. She is Lana Turner. What? She is Lana Turner. I read up about Lana Turner. She uh, was actually forced to have an abortion whilst on a publicity tour in Hawaii mm. uh, <laughs> without any sort of anesthetic. Um, oh, damn. In the hotel room with her mother sort of holding her down. Oh, wow. That's terrible. And it gets worse. The cost of the illegal abortion was deducted from her. He's so angry uh, to think that people thought they had the power to do that to another person. They got away with it. There was nothing she could do, really. And um, the fact that uh, obviously this is not this is two cases that I brought up, but there are more um, actresses who had to get abortions. They would often. Um, say they were leaving the country to go on tour or there was one famous case i can't remember the actress now she got uh, pregnant she went away on tour had the baby gave the baby to an orphanage and then adopted the baby back so in order to keep her baby she had to give it away pretend it wasn't her own baby and then adopt it back but to think that that actually happened back in the time that we're discussing which it sounds like it's almost Victorian or you know something out of the, the 
Middle Ages, or you know, yeah. doesn't seem it seems so insane that it feels like it should be something out of Game of Thrones or something. You know, it doesn't seem like it's, yeah. it's, it's baffling, but um, yeah, uh, that's what happened to, to Garland and as a result, um, her marriage suffered and the pressure that she faced and the fact that she was told to sort of um, by the studio to, to, to file for divorce meant that she, her marriage t- didn't really last that long and um, uh, unfortunately she um, um, had to divorce her first husband um, on the set of St. Louis uh, Meet Me in St. Louis which is probably um, one of the second most famous pictures that she's known for she uh, fell in love with the, the film director um, who she she um, just do you guys know the film director who... uh, Vincent Minnelli is it that was his yes, name yes that's correct and um, he was famously gay um, but obviously because it's Hollywood he couldn't you know you know come out of the no yeah, yeah. Um, but either way they they actually had a very good sort of relationship and, and they got married, which the studio approved of because he was working for MGM uh, and because he was their sort of film director and they could pair them off and they worked well together, they were happy for them to get married. So again, that is just sort of, you, you can't even date or marry. Out with it. Outside, you know, in <laughs> outside of industry, outside of the studio. That's yeah. Um, sadly, uh, it, the marriage didn't really last that well, and um, it was actually on the set of um, the pirate, a film uh, that Judy made in 1947, that uh, she suffered from a nervous breakdown, um, which I don't think is a major surprise considering. Right what she'd gone through and she was actually put into an insane asylum for a brief period by the studio um i saw the sort of footage the sort of um outtakes of the pirate and you can really sort of see what she was going through like the the pain she was in sort of performing and um and it must have distressed i think it's, it's no surprise that she sort of snapped and um, she made her first sort of suicide attempt during that period of filming. Um, Is that where she came home to find her husband in bed with another man? Yeah, yeah. I, think, I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I do want to say, though, that her, um, her performance of um, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and Meet Me in St. Louis is probably one of my favorite Okay, it's probably my favorite like cr- like Christmas song mm. of all time, but every time I hear that, I get I literally get goosebumps, just yeah. because of how powerful and how strong her singing performance is. I just I'm just so in, so moved. Not to mention that the lyrics themselves, before they were changed by, um, I mean I forget who they were changed by specifically, but I think Frank Sinatra probably does the the most common commonly known um, altered version. But her her version, Judy Garland's version, is is actually much more depressing and much more sad 
of a song and therefore I think more realistic. So uh, I just, I just love it all around more. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to just ma- t- take a moment to say that that, that is a incredibly well, well-performed song and scene. And um, I really love it. Yeah. And um, I, I think when we consider like um, what she was going through at the time. Um, exactly. Yeah. And also she sort of met someone and, and maybe it was sort of, uh, optimistic, like sort of next t- next year it will be all okay. Uh, yeah. And perhaps that she thought maybe her her marriage was going to sort of work out, and she found this person. And you know, I don't know whether she was fully aware of his sexuality uh, yeah. at the time that she met him. Uh, although I did, uh, someone mentioned in, on the doc in the documentary that he would turn up to set wearing more makeup than the actual actresses were wearing which um, I thought was quite an interesting statement to say uh, but either way he did sort of treat her well and he she's um, quoted of saying that he was the first director who who made her look pretty who made her look beautiful and I think she already was beautiful I mean most certainly I, I don't think that we were saying about she must have been obviously quite insecure but he must have had a way of reassuring her and, and how he shoots her she does appear like the classic movie star yeah bringing back um what you were saying earlier though about her father um so her father I, i'm not sure how to take this but her father was either um like a homosexual or he like he had because he was dating actually like a 14 year old boy mm. like he was and i granted at the time maybe that wasn't uh, what it is now but I, I i don't know i have no idea but um so i don't know what if his, if her father just wasn't allowed to you know what i'm saying be with a man that kind of thing yeah. and that's why that happened um but then you know she married multiple people she married that were gay um, or there were rumors they were gay, or there were it, it was it was out there um, as, as previous knowledge. So I think you know. To, I'm again, I'm not going to try to psychoanalyze Judy Garland. I mean, I don't, I really don't care. But I think that there's something there. Um, and I mean, you spoke about the loss of a father figure, um, or that male, that strong male figure throughout her life. So I think there's something to that. I don't know what it is or what it means, but you know, she really, she did want to be loved. And I think that she had some, um, some handicap in trying to, to choose a, a partner. I don't know. Yeah. That, that's, um, it's, that's actually a very interesting point. I, I don't really know the answer to that. Exactly. No, I don't, <laughs> um, I know. But of course, um, a lot of film stars, were famously gay or, or bisexual right. during this period and, and directors as well um, right. and of course they weren't allowed to this we sort of touched upon this it was still quite a taboo in, in Hollywood in the end um, one of her friends approached MGM and said you know, um, she, you know she needs a break um she's going to you know we're worried about her health we think that you know she needs to sort of stop working something needs to change and the end result was that she was fired and her contract was terminated with mgm as a result so um that 
sort of um, didn't really care about her health. To the, if she couldn't work, then what was the sort of point of keeping her around? So um, they just got rid of her. Took her, used her, and when she was kind of going insane and having a mental breakdown, it's like, you know what, okay, we're, we're, we're completely done with her, bye. Yeah. That's just, I did not find that extremely ghoulish. It was just like... Uh, and I think this is something that happens again with child, child stars. Um, when they become more problematic and are more of a handful, then they're just sort of, people just give up on them. And then, you know, it's, there's no patience. And, and that's it. It's kind of like once you've reached your point where you're no longer um, viable, yeah. bye. It, yeah, it's like, here's the door, okay, bye. And I think that's just such a horrible way to treat a person. You, you know, though, I, I do want to, like, and I'm not I'm not disputing that, because that absolutely, I absolutely agree with both of you, that that is a terrible thing to do to somebody. Um, however, I do, like, anybody listening to this right now, I do want to let you know that Hollywood has not changed. So if you're planning on being an actor or a director or going out to Hollywood, Guess what? This is still the case. Now, there are – we are miles away from that, right? We have you know, people that do look out for you if only to just you know, protect their own backside, um, and, and you know, there, things are better, right? But I still feel like and largely that is, what, that is what the corporations that run the studios, even though it's not the studio system anymore, that's what it still consists of because when someone is dried up now, they, they – they don't call you anymore. They don't. They don't. Uh, you know. They don't consider you for casting. You know. Uh, you know. For women over forty, how many women have just dropped off the? How many actresses have dropped off the radar because you know they don't fit a certain look or profile anymore. You know. And it's like that is. We still live in that world. It is now. It's much better, and it's not as. It's not as uh, harsh. But I, I still feel like that. I mean. In, in a world where you're trying to protect yourself against sort of becoming, like, used up and disposable, like, that is something to sort of remember that the uh, the corporations that you're dealing with are constantly looking at your value and constantly saying, how much money can we get out of this person? I, I mean, not to try and put people off becoming <laughs> acting, but I think yeah. the case is, is that you've just got to be smart, really, yeah. and... And do be aware that there are, but this goes for any any industry that, no matter what, there are always going to be people out there who will exploit you. But I do think now it's more, especially with what's occurred last year with the Me Too movement. I think we are becoming more aware of it, and it's especially through the power of social media. There's not really a way that Hollywood can sort of pay pay people to be quiet anymore right and i think if um if we can learn anything from from the judy garland story is that um you she's uh, it's almost like we we want to live our life for for her in a way um so we remember what she went through and her struggle you know, we've got to learn from our mistakes and point this out and 
um, in order to, to grow and, and develop and um, it's, a, it's a good opportunity for us to sort of reflect back on what mistakes were made especially with uh, Judy Garland's life um, and hopefully that um, like I say we can sort of the industry can move on and become something which is a lot less you know, ugly I suppose it's um, it certainly has been a sort of a tough time for Hollywood but I, I'm hope I'm optimistic um, but anyway um, we're, we're not always this depressing and gloomy on the <laughs> podcast but um, I do want to say if there is anything that uh, people do want to discuss or that you know they're um, this whether this podcast has brought up anything that you know is uh, not upset people but has, uh, you know has, has made people feel uncomfortable do let us know because we do want your feedback as well and we never want to put anyone into a position where they feel uncomfortable by anything that is said and talking about controversial um, we do have a new section on our website called Set, um, Uncensored which I don't know whether you guys are aware of but uh, this is where we will be discussing films that are deemed controversial so uh, Steve recently uh, uploaded an uh, article regarding the last tango in Paris which I highly recommend um, and um, readers can check us out at www.filmotomy.com that's F-I-L-M-O-T-O-M-Y Filmotomy and you can always follow us um, at Filmotomy on Twitter um, you can follow myself at the film B, and you guys are also on Twitter. Jonathan, your handle is? Yes, my handle is uh, Mr. Brown underscore 23. And your handle, Rob? Yep, my handle is Rob underscore motto. Um, I'm a B Garner signing off, and uh, goodbye from Jonathan. See you guys. And goodbye from Rob. Bye bye. <laughs>